When I heard people say, oh, it's not about the food, I thought, yes, it is about the food. If I knew how to eat healthy, for years I tried to figure out why. Is it my parents' fault? You know, is it nature? Is it nurture? What is it? And I don't know what solving that problem was going to do for me. I mean, what was that going to do? Welcome to Food Addiction, the podcast that helps you understand the disease of food addiction and presents the solution. We talk with experts and counselors who treat food addiction as a substance use disorder and with people who share their stories of recovery. The podcast is brought to you by the International School of Food Addiction Counseling and Treatment. Visit infactschool.com to become a certified food addiction professional. Stay tuned for this inspiring and informative episode. Well, today we welcome Christy M. to Food Addiction, the Problem and the Solution podcast. Welcome, Christy. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, and thank you for agreeing to be a guest on the podcast. Christy, as you know, on the podcast, we host professionals, people that specialize uh, in the disease of food addiction, and we, we host recovered food addicts, and I know you identify as a food addict. And uh, so today we're going to talk about your journey your recovery, and uh, which should be helpful to our listeners. So we're going to get into some questions, talk about your story, your history with food, and and how you recovered. Um, I know a bit about you. I know that you have released and kept off 130-pound weight loss, and you've been abstinent. Uh, my notes say September 9th, 2001. Big weight loss, Correct. long time. So each of us as food addicts have a story of our journey, recovery from food addiction. So tell us, tell us your story. Yeah. I think um, first, just a minor correction. So I lost a hundred and oh, 40 pounds, and then I gained a hundred of that back. So I'm actually 170 pounds down from my highest weight, which is okay. about what I weigh now. So I'm half of my of my weight. Wow. Um uh, which I think is important for people to hear that it is yeah. possible to not only lose a large amount of weight, but I've also been maintaining that weight loss for 20 years now. Yeah. So, Good. Um, you know, for me, uh, you know, uh, what I tried to do, you know, in terms of demographics, I've got, I'm the oldest of four. Uh, I have two parents that were married forever. Um, uh, moved around a lot when I was a kid. Um, in, in fact, people asked if my dad was in the army because we moved so much, but my parents were just restless. Um, my dad, you know, my dad drank secretly, um, but my immediate and extended family did not drink. That was not part of our culture. So no one I knew was an alcoholic. I didn't know anything about, uh, you know, really alcoholism. I mean, I knew, you know, a little bit, of course I'd heard about it, but, um, food was really the center of everything we did in our home and our extended family's home. So, mm. yeah. And for me, I've been preoccupied with food forever. Yeah. So you are like me, you can go back to your childhood and say, wow, I didn't eat like other kids. I was not, you mm -hmm. know, I was not like other kids, like they could take it or leave it. I mean, I, once I had like graham crackers with icing on it. I mean, I was, I was in or oh, birthday cake or yeah. whatever. So, uh, yes. talk about, talk about that. Any stories there uh, as a child with food? 
Oh my goodness. Lots of stories. I, I was listening to one of the podcasts and heard you say that you remember your birthday cake, right? So not to outdo you, but I did remember my birthday cake from the age of four. Oh, you beat me. Um, and I, I did. I did. I think I'm more of a food addict than you are. So um, at any rate, I remember my fourth, uh, you know, fourth birthday party. And I do not remember who was there. I do not remember the presents I got. It was a really big deal because my, one of my grandparents gave me a Barbie doll, which was really big, you know, in the early sixties, I'm 64. So, um, just incredible that I wouldn't remember that, you know, I love Barbie. So, um, I remember that I dropped an ice cream cone in a puddle and it got soggy, you know, so two things happened. One is that I picked it up from the ground in this dirty you know, puddle of water. And there were people around me and they said, no, don't eat that. And I ate it. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, kids, kids will do that. Right. If right. I was four, I ate it. But from then on, I loved the sogginess and meltiness and it was like a flavor sensation. And I just remembered, and I tried to replicate that just with tap water, not like dirty puddles of water. Um, and, you know, one story, I mean, I've got stories that my my mom used to tell me, but one in particular stands out to me, and that is where she had taken me to um, Woolworths. I'll, I'll date myself here, right? Mm-hmm. And she had, she had gotten me a bag of popcorn, and I dropped it on the ground. And I was a really good kid, very compliant. And she said, the worst tantrum you ever, ever threw was when you dropped the popcorn on the ground and I told you (laughs) not to eat it. And I stood in the middle of the store and screamed my head off because I could not pick up the popcorn from the ground and eat it. So uh, definitely, um, you know, uh, wasn't aware of uh, how this disease or addiction would progress in my life. But, um, you know, later on, certainly in my life, 99% of my time was spent obsessing about food uh, intake and weight control. That was my entire focus. And the other 1% was used for doing a good job at work and being a good partner in a relationship. And Mm -hmm. so that was really how that addiction progressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you were 64, I'm 65, so we're at the same age of our career. So mm-hmm. we could talk about Woolworths and all the stuff back then. <laughs> it was different back then. My my mother worried about me, the way I ate. I, I was mm-hmm. not an overweight child. I was pretty athletic and active. Didn't really start gaining weight uh, that was excessive until I was in puberty. Uh, were you an overweight mm-hmm. child? I was not an overweight child, but I was taller than everybody. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm almost six one now, but in when I was 11, uh, I was, um, you know, we had to get our height and weight done Mm -hmm. uh, as part of school, you know, maybe the presidential fitness, whatever it was, uh, some sort of thing. So they can remember that, I guess, but, but I was five, four and I weighed 124 pounds and that was bigger than anybody. And, And I say big, I hate the word big because it just means fat to me, but you know, the kids ran up to me and wanted to know how big I was. And, um, you know, I just, I felt huge and honestly, five, four and 124 pounds is a normal weight. It's normal. It's Mm -hmm. within, if you believe in or subscribe to the body mass index, normal weight, but I felt, I felt huge. It Mm -hmm. it didn't matter what my weight or or height was for that matter. I just, I just felt really huge. Yeah. Talk a little more about your childhood. I think I heard you say you were the oldest of four children. 
Mm-hmm. And your yes. parents moved around a lot because they sounds like they got bored or restless or uh, <laughs> yes. maybe geographic cure. We don't know. You're, you say your father mm-hmm. drank secretly. If he drank secretly, but you knew, uh, tell me about that and a little bit more about your childhood. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I didn't know. I mean, I knew sometimes we had alcohol in the house. Um, I remember when I was seven, you know, my uh, dad let me taste beer. He was driving the car. We were going to our our, our cabin, our family cabin, and he asked me if I wanted a taste of, of alcohol. And I said, sure, you know, why not? You're driving, you know, he hands me a can or whatever. It was just so bizarre. It's bizarre to think about now. And so I had my first drink at that age. Um, I did not uh, feel as hooked. I mean, you know, uh, at the age of seven, that just wasn't, it was like, eh, I don't really like the taste of this. I probably drank the whole can though, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. but not to throw something out. But I think, um, you know, for me, um, I, you know, what I experienced with my parents is that both of them were admitted compulsive overeaters. Both of them tried to get help with their their own addiction, mm. at least with food. I okay. mean, food was the primary addiction. So in my house, it wasn't, you know, my mom, when I came home from work and I ate, you know, pretty much an entire meal, um, my mom would say, don't spoil your dinner. And I said, don't worry, I will also eat my dinner. <laughs> yeah. And my mom didn't say anything about that, you know, right. not right. to worry, not spoiling my dinner, I'll eat both. And so we had lots of food in the house and I was free, free to eat what I wanted. Nobody, you know, they didn't, I think from their perspective, they didn't have any room to talk. And so Mm -hmm. as I got older and started dieting, started that dying dieting cycle, you know, they didn't really, they didn't say a whole lot about Mm. any of that, but I really wasn't overweight until later. Mm -hmm. So you had what I had, which is the DNA, uh, the uh, we inherit this tendency to be addicts and sometimes addicts with food. My dad was a food addict um, and an alcoholic. And so I inherited that tendency, the genetics of it. Uh, but the environment was very conducive mm-hmm. to, you know, we had sweets and cakes and candies. Yes. And, um, you know, I, you know, with in the case of food addiction, and any addiction, the, there's a difference in brain chemistry. And of course, we ingest sugar, mm-hmm. and then we say, "Okay, we make deals with ourselves. We're not going to eat anymore, right?" And and so, but we can't stop. You know, we we get obsessed with it. We start thinking about it. Okay, I'm going to go back for just one more. And so, you had that too. You had the DNA, and you had the environment, right? Yes, both. Yeah, both deadly combination. Honestly, mm-hmm. really, literally deadly combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, my dad. Yeah, my dad died from, you know, the horrors of what morbid obesity can do. You yes. know, he had to have his leg amputated, and and both yeah. of my parents again were both very morbidly obese when they mm-hmm. passed away. Yeah, yeah, my dad was almost three hundred pounds when he went into the hospital. Uh, so, you know, mm. we saw it, and uh, so, but we found yeah. we found a solution. We're going to talk about your recovery, uh, but before we do that, talk about your dieting history. You're, I think you probably mm. are like me. I, I was really disciplined, really good at losing weight, uh, but I always gained yes. it back. And and a lot of my life, I hate to say this, I wasted a lot of time being obsessed <sighs> with the next diet. Okay, I'm going to lose this. I have to eat this way today. And then being afraid to step on the scale, being excited when I see that I lost weight. I mean, talk about the dieting and uh, the oh. just, just, uh, it's just 
it's hard. Talk about that. Yes, Susan, I can completely relate to what you're saying, of course. I, um, my first diet that I remember going on, and I think this was really the first diet I tried, was when I was 11, and I bought a calorie counting book. And I decided for some reason, and I don't remember anyone ever telling me that this would be a good amount for a, an 11-year-old to eat, but I was um, counting 900 calories a day for my intake down to the down to the single calorie you know how many calories is a tic tac <laughs> uh, you know i mean yeah. right yeah right down to the you know whatever the single calorie and i tried to stick to that i went to a formal weight loss program with my cousin who was trying to lose weight and i was maybe 12 or 13 um at 14 my parents bought me a um uh, a pass or a subscription or whatever it was to a diet program where we, you would weigh yourself every day. So on my way to school, you know, I walked to school, mm. I would weigh myself every, every day I would be weighed at this place. And, you know, I was going to have a good day if my weight went down as little as one quarter of a pound, it's like one quarter of a pound, you know, and on again, a taller frame or even a shorter frame, what is one quarter of a pound? It's not much, but right. if I gained a quarter of a pound, it was it was horrible. Yeah. And so I had that cycle over and over and over again until I was about the age of 35. And what happened is I would lose weight and then I would gain back all of the weight I had lost and more. Because yep. what I thought I could do is lose the weight, restrict, exercise seven days a week, whatever it was I was trying to do to manage my, uh, my weight and my food intake. And then I would go back to eating like a normal person. The problem with me is that I have no idea what a normal person eats like. Um, right. And that was that became a huge problem. I would just start back to eating the way I was. And I never made the correlation between those two. What's the connection <laughs> between me eating like a, you know, a, a person who hasn't eaten for years to restricting, restricting, and then going back to that, mm -hmm. you know, ravaged, crazy binging that I was doing and not expecting the consequences. Yeah. I mean, I did exactly the same thing. And food addicts uh, and addicts in general tend to be black and white thinkers, you know, that, you know, mm -hmm. I'm either yes. on a diet or I'm off a diet. And uh, I would lose 40, 50 pounds, be in a size six, eight, you know, and people would give me all these compliments. I'd step on the scale. And then with the commercial diet programs, the business model is such that there is no way, there's no maintenance uh, plan. You know, there's no like, okay, once you lose the weight, here's what you do to stay at this weight because that would mess up their business model. So, you know, there, yeah. I really did not know how to maintain a good weight until I got into 12-step mm -hmm. recovery. And now I know exactly what I need to eat to maintain this weight range. You know, now I know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Same. So, yeah, you, uh, we are not normal eaters as, you know, food addicts. And then uh, I assume you used food to manage emotions. What did, what did food do, do for you in, in your life? Do you remember? You know, it's really interesting because with, and I don't know when the switch happened, but food became the solution for me, mm -hmm. you know, not really recognizing that it was a problem. It was the solution. So what might happen is that I had a feeling, you know, I don't know what the feeling was. It could be anything, you know, I didn't, I couldn't even figure out what I was feeling, but somewhere 
in my brain or body or somewhere I had a feeling. And what I would do is eat. Yeah. That's what my response was. And then what I've learned, I think, the longer I've been in recovery is that, you know, it wasn't necessarily that now I had two problems, you know, the feeling or maybe something had happened and that I ate over it. But what it allowed me to do by picking up the food is just focus now 100% on the food. I could just focus on the food. I'm not going to deal with the problem, no matter what it is, financial, job-related, relationship-related, doesn't matter, feeling, happy, sad, whatever it was. I could just focus all on the food because I had picked up that first bite of food mm. and I was off and running. And that became my focus. Yeah. That was, I repeated that over and over and over again. Yeah. You had mentioned exercise. Did you use exercise to control your weight like I did? Yes, I did. I um, There was a, a magazine that I subscribed to and they always had like inspirational weight loss stories. And they also had uh, a, a portion of the magazine was dedicated to exercise. And I mean, I would read one thing. I mean, this is before the internet, certainly, you yeah. know, use the internet later on, but I would, I would read something. I would hear that someone was doing something and I'd go off in that direction. Yeah. And so for some reason, I decided that working out seven days a week was a good idea. You know, and I was a maniac. I mean, and we're talking cardio, hard cardio, walking to a park. And I lived in a place where it was, you know, in out west, winter, snow, did not matter. I would bundle up and I would get out and I would walk. I would be the only person at the park walking like a mad woman around this track and then, you know, go home. <laughs> And probably make a big pot of something to eat because I'd worked out so much. Yeah, you'd worked out. But yeah, it was I I'd worked out. I deserved it. I right. you know deserved it. You can get away with it. I mean, out. yeah, I did the same thing. I ran for years, a couple of miles, sometimes mm. five miles, you know, because it's like, okay, I had two cookies last night. If I run tomorrow, oh. you know, all, all these deals I would make with myself just so I wouldn't gain weight mm -hmm. from the binging, you know. And yeah, uh, yeah. many of us in 12-step recovery and food addiction, uh, we use, um, and I've used diuretics, I've used uh, laxatives, you mm -hmm. know, and, and exercise. And th those are ways to control our weight besides just dieting. Yes. Just because um, we, yes. Don't want, we don't want to be overweight. We don't want to be big. So you got, yeah. up to, uh, you got up to 107, uh, 170 pounds more than you are right now. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes, so your weight was how high? Do you remember? 340. 340. You were at 340. Um, yeah. And so when, how old were you when your weight got up to that level? I was 35. Okay. Um, a couple of years before that, I thought I only weighed 200 pounds. I mean, I'm the type of addict, you know, trying to control my, you know, weight especially, I would get on the scale five times a day, or I would get on the scale every five years. So I was in my get on the scale every five years period of time. And I had a severe gallbladder attack. I didn't mm. know that's what it was. But you know, my colleague at work said, I'm taking you to the hospital. Something is wrong here. Wow. And um, I think it was right before that I had gone to the doctor. Again, I thought I only weighed 200 pounds. And she said, you weigh 305 pounds. What are you going to do about it? Mm. And I said, uh, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm at a loss. You, I, nothing. Why don't, why don't, you know, I, 
I've tried. I've tried everything. Um, I was shocked and embarrassed and felt so, I mean, I was really surprised that I had weighed over 300 pounds because I swore to myself I was never going to weigh over 300 pounds. And now here I was on on an official scale in a doctor's office weighing 305 pounds and I gained more weight after that. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty awful. Um, and I was really, yeah, really ill with my gallbladder. I had to be in, you know, the hospital for a week until they could even operate, you know, just all the consequences I think of being obese Obese. and trying to take care of my health just kind of, uh, just, yeah. Yeah. I was, I remember standing on my doctor's scale and moving the block over the 200 pound to 203 and that's oh. the top and I'm only oh. I'm, I'm much shorter than you I'm only about 5253 <laughs> right now so 203 yeah. pounds is a mm. lot and uh, oh. just putting that block over and and just the, oh. the horror of it and the denial you know and and uh, let's yes. talk about uh, I'm going to go to shame too but let's talk about the denial I look at these old photos now and I'm like, I don't look that bad. You know, my hair looks okay. I got some makeup on. I got some jewelry, you know, and mm-hmm. I grew my hair longer mm-hmm. so I wouldn't look fat. And, <laughs> and it's just like all the things we do. And it's just like, oh, my God, I'm so yes. big in that photo. So talk about yeah. denial and, and how it worked in your addiction. Yeah. I mean, like what you're describing, I lived from the neck up and that was it. You know, I did not, you know, of course I knew what size clothing I wore and, you know, have gone in and out of wardrobes, you know, losing weight, throwing away all the fat clothes and then having to buy back a whole new wardrobe once I gained the weight back, you know, that sort of thing. But I did my best to live from the neck up. And what that meant was, and even then was really hard. My face, you know, was very, it was swollen. My eyes were almost like shut because my face was so swollen with eating and the type of food I was eating where I was retaining water. I did have people who kind of fed into that denial a little bit. I mean, I'm not blaming it on other people, certainly, but, you know, I, I would talk about my weight and people would say, oh, but you can carry a lot of weight. And I think, I, I can't remember. I looked it up once. Like, how tall would you have to be for 340 pounds to be a normal weight? And it's over seven feet tall. So I either needed to grow some inches or lose some weight to get yeah. into a normal range. But yeah, I was in denial and really, and I did the same thing, you know, lots of makeup and hair. Yeah. So hopefully people would focus on my face. Right. And not my body, right? Because I wasn't focusing on my body. Yeah, we're going to go into some, you know recovery, and you know we don't want to spend mm-hmm. too much time on what yeah. it was like. Although there are food addicts potentially listening, and they need to hear mm-hmm. that. Oh, that's yeah. that's what I did. Here's what I, you know. So talk about the shame. I I carried this weight. I would walk into rooms in my you know, in, in my industry that I had a, a, a career and, you know, I could just see mm. the eyes and I just know people were saying, there she goes again, she's gained it all back. And then more, you know, I was a size 18 and, um, just the shame, like I couldn't, I couldn't stop. I was successful in other things. I could do a lot of other things. I'm a problem solver. I could not solve this problem. And I was, I was shameful about it. Talk about that. Yeah. Our stories are very similar. I felt like people were looking at me and judging how heavy I was all the time, all the time. Um, 
anytime anyone caught me, uh, anytime anyone mentioned caught me, meaning, you know, oh my gosh, you're eating again. How could you be hungry? You know, people, you know, my partner I lived with would say, oh my gosh, how can you eat? You know, we just got done. And it's like, well, my stomach is partially emptied. I mean, did I know that? No, I just said, well, I'm hungry. Yeah. I don't think I was ever hungry. Um, but I, you know, wait staff at restaurants, they would, if they stopped by the table and said, wow, you must've really liked that, or you must've been really hungry or whatever they said about the fact that the food was gone off of my plate. Oh, I felt so, I felt so horrible. I'd been called out, even though I was in public and everybody else at the table was at varying degrees of their eating, you know, their meals. Um, I just felt so embarrassed. Um, mm-hmm. I, I felt, uh, you know, even if the delivery person at the pizza place said, do you want the same thing you ordered last night or the night before? Cause they knew, you know, yeah. give, oh, give them the name or caller ID or whatever it was. It's like, Oh yes, I do. And don't talk about it. I just right. didn't want anyone to bring it up ever, 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 ever. Ever. Yeah, just lots of shame. The secrecy too. I mean, that's what drive-thrus are all about. You know, just the secrecy of going through the drive-thru and then eating in the parking lot, you know, or going into Mm -hmm. a grocery store or a convenience store. I used to do that and just buy a bunch of Mm -hmm. stuff and the guy behind the counter didn't know me and just all the secrecy around it. It, And then the shame of, you know, we wear this disease right? We wear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like mm-hmm. alcoholism where you might be able to get away with it. People know what we're doing. We're eating more than our bodies yeah. need. Yes. So yes. Um, let's talk about recovery. You, uh, when, did you, when did you decide that you know, no more dieting? Uh, you, you, you had perhaps an issue where you needed to work on recovery. Talk about that this transition. Yeah. Well, I have, you know, one story in particular, which is what got me into the 12 step rooms. And I do not to this day know why I did this, but a friend of mine at work asked if I would go outside and have a cigarette with them. And I'd, I'd stopped smoking, but I said, sure, I'll go outside. And for some reason, you know, here I am over 300 pounds. I started talking to him. Of course, people can see me. They know perhaps that I have a problem with, with food and, and at least with weight, but, um, and not everyone who's heavy is, you know, mm-hmm. a food addict. I don't know who That's is right. or isn't, right. but I started talking to him about it. And I said, you know what? I am really struggling. I'm struggling with my eating. I probably said I'm struggling with how much I weigh. Cause that was really a, a focus. And he asked me if I had ever heard of uh, 12-step groups for eating disorders for food Mm -hmm. addicts. Right. And I had not. Uh, I'd heard of the more common ones, but I definitely had never heard of any anything for food addicts. And and the way I thought about eating disorders at that time was less the binge eating syndrome, which I have. Yeah. Um, even though I have, you know, certainly had anorexic and bulimic tendencies too. I've certainly had times of purging. I identify as more uh, the binge binge eating disorder. And so um, he took me to my first meeting and it was there. I was just absolutely shocked absolutely shocked that there was a place for me and I could not believe that there was recovery. Um, so I spent time, you know, my first five years in recovery. Um, and I, you know, figured out my own food plan, did a lot of the stuff that some of us do, um, in, in 12 step programs, you know, tried to figure it out my, on my own. Uh, and, um, uh, was in for five years and then I relapsed. 
mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And yeah. so, um, which was horrible. Yeah. What happened to trigger <laughs> I mean, I, that? Yeah. You, can you identify it? Yeah. You know, it was really interesting because what happened was I had figured out a food plan, you know, where normally I would eat three plates of food at dinner. What I told myself is that I was just going to have one plate of food, you know, at each meal, like one plate. I was going to pile it high, but I was just going to have one. And I alternated between saying, I'm not really a sugar addict because I eat everything, you know, well, maybe I'll give up sugar, but I'll have honey or what about real maple syrup? You know, I just, it was, I was all over the place, just completely chaotic trying to, you know, trying to figure this out on my own. But there was one point in time after I'd lost uh, weight and gotten down to where I looked, you know, I certainly was a lot thinner and I looked uh, at at a more normal weight. Um, I overate. And I remember that feeling of overeating and I felt really full, like way over full. And that, you know, the switch in my brain that says stop eating your full broke in me a long time ago. But I do remember feeling uncomfortably full and I wanted to purge. Mm. And I thought, oh no, you're not going to get into that cycle. How about if you... Um, just get back on track and don't overeat anymore. <laughs> That's yeah. what I told myself yeah. was going to happen. Um, you know, the other thing is I would, I was still drinking alcohol. I was also, I wasn't using any drugs at that point. I had, you know, put down drugs, but I was drinking, eating. I had a sponsor and I wasn't really working the steps. I think that's probably the ultimate. Um, No, my food plan changed every day. It was written by me and I couldn't even follow my own food plan. I mean, that's the irony, right? I'll create a food plan and I swear I'll follow it. And the next day, even my own food plan was not a food plan I could follow. So I was, I was screwed. I was headed for relapse. Yeah. Well, we know that um, many Many people that come into recovery want it to be a diet, you know, want it to be the new diet that works. And this is not a diet. And like you say, we have to get, once we put the food down and we have a food plan from, in my case, a nutritionist Mm -hmm. that says, Susan, you want to weigh 133, here's what you eat. That's what I eat. I don't eat, I don't eat sugar. I eat, you know, six times a day, three snacks. Um, But but it's not a diet. Then we have to get to the causes mm-hmm. and conditions and what is making us eat. What is making us still in the back of our minds thinking food is a solution or controlling our food and our weight is somehow a solution. So talk about the recovery, you know, the emotional recovery, mental, mm-hmm. you know, besides the physical for you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because I sought, uh, I sought help from therapists, um, uh, for years, you know, I remember in a therapist's office, I said, it's like, if there was a piece of pie on that table, the pie would be saying, you've got to eat me. And he looked at me like I was crazy because, you know, normally I was, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And he said, you know, pie can't talk to people, you know, maybe there's a bigger issue here. We need to talk about Chris, you're hearing voices from pie. And it's like, that's exactly what my life is like. And yeah. he couldn't help me. He didn't understand it. You right. know, he just didn't understand it. Um, I think for me, I, um, in relapse for two years, gaining a hundred pounds back, I knew that what I could not do is go on living in the insanity yeah. of 
the disease. I did not care that I weighed 300 pounds. It was the insanity of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Mm -hmm. I wanted to eat what I wanted to eat and not suffer the consequences. And that was not happening in my life. And so what I realized is that I, you know, I really had two choices and one of them was to, um, just not be on the planet anymore. Like that was, that was one choice. It's like, I cannot go on living like this. I absolutely cannot go on living like this. And I know that I cannot change it on my own. So I am going to go back to the 12 step rooms and I'm going to ask for help. Yeah. And that is exactly what I did. I yeah. needed to ask for help. And mm-hmm. the first thing I needed was to put the food down so yeah. that I could have some mental clarity, just like every other 12-step program. Stop doing what you're doing that brought you in here and then start working the steps. Yeah. Yeah. It's really... And that's what I did. Yeah. When you start... When you, and my experience is probably similar to yours in that when I put the sugar down and I stopped eating sugar, there was withdrawal, of course. And just kind of like, gosh, I really mm-hmm. crave it, crave it, crave it. That goes away. It went away from me in about three weeks. Yes. That's, that's pretty average, uh, mm-hmm. typical, mm-hmm. and you can get through it. Um, but my mind got so clear. My vocabulary increased. My mm-hmm. ability to do simple math increased. My uh, Just the fog went away. <laughs> you know, the fog went away, and yes. I was very clear. And um, then it's kind of like, okay, Susan, what, what do you have to work on? And then we start realizing mm-hmm. that we can't do it on our own. And, um, you know, my will and and me wanting to do it my way wasn't going to work. I had to listen to others and I don't do that well, you know, and I had to, couldn't be in charge anymore. And so talk about that, just really surrendering to like, okay, so I got to listen to people. I got to do what they say. That's exactly it. Um, I had lost what the way I look at my addiction is that I had lost the power of choice when it came to food. Um, I did not go through treatment for my food addiction. I did get a, um, a food plan from a treatment center that had a lot of, even though I'm addicted to, you know, sugar, fat, and flour, let's just say, and volume, like those are my kind of Mm -hmm. my trigger foods. Um, This particular food plan didn't have sugar, fat, and flour on it. And the volume was taken care of because there were very specific amounts of food that I needed to eat just like you were told, well, here's what your maintenance range should be. Let's get you down to that maintenance range and then see, you know, what we need to adjust to keep you there. And so I, um, I had to do that. I had to do that. I had to, um, realize that, uh, I needed to work through the steps, you know, and when I heard people say, oh, it's not about the food, I thought, yes, it is about the food. You know, if I, if I knew how to eat healthy, I I would figure this out. If I knew why I was a food addict for years, I tried to figure out why. Is it my parents' fault? You know, is it nature? Is it nurture? What is it? And I don't know what solving that problem was going to do for me. I mean, what was that going to do? I was going to confront my parents and then no longer be a food addict. I mean, that that was not going to work. I really, truly had to accept that I had a problem with food. I had reached the end of the line, the last the last hope I had was getting into a 12 step program, treating my, my addiction like an addiction Mm -hmm. and having, you know, understanding where that boundary was, uh, between being abstinent, as we say, sober, clean and being in relapse, 
you know, I, I had to understand where that line was. Cause for years I said, well, food, how can I be addicted to food? How can I give up food? And in the meantime, I'm gorging myself on everything. Right. Did you go through treatment for food addiction, like a treatment recovery program then? I did not. I just um, had, there was a, a treatment center at the time that a number of people I knew had gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, it had been around for a while and it was based on a 12-step model, mm-hmm. which is different than other, you know, eating disorder treatment centers are now. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, insurance, which I'm not even going to talk about. Um, yeah. But uh, we talk about um, that with the professionals it, and it's yeah. just a shame that it's not um, paid for, but you know, that's another such a thing. shame. Yeah. It, it's a whole <laughs> thing. And I, I worked in the insurance industry. So un- unfortunately I know a little bit about it uh, for a period of time, mm-hmm. but at any rate, I, um, uh, what helped me with the food plan, I mean, is that it, uh, it had eliminated, you know, I don't, I, it had no sugar on it because right. I couldn't eat sugar in mo- even in moderation. And the first nutritionist I went to, I, I said, I need help. You know, I'm, I'm addicted to food and, you know, 22 years ago, it just people, I don't think, I don't know. It, I didn't get help from the nutritionist. She said, I think you not being able to eat sugar or cookies, for example, is going to be a problem for you. You know, I think what's going to happen is if you deprive yourself of those, you're going to eventually eat them. And she said, how many cookies do you think you can eat? And I said, how many are there in the world? Right. Because that's not enough. Right. (laughs) There aren't enough cookies in the world. I mean, and so I had to go a different direction. And so Mm -hmm. I asked the people in my 12-step program and, you know, we weren't handing out food plans, but there were people that had a food plan. Mm-hmm. And I actually was able to get a hold of the nutritionist at the eating disorder treatment center and talk to her a little bit. Sure. And she gave me an updated version of the plan. Mm-hmm. And that's what I followed for several years until I got my own nutritionist. Yeah. You say you drank. Uh, did you, do you feel like you had a problem with alcohol? I, um, the way I describe it is, I mean, I absolutely drank and, and of course drank through, uh, recovery. And it wasn't until, um, and drugs. I also use drugs. So drinking, drugging, eating, all part of my history. I was able to put drinking and drugs down. Um, and of course, picked up the food with a vengeance, right? So the minute I put those down, uh, started drinking. And I wasn't using drugs until I was in uh, relapse from okay. the first stint mm-hmm. at a 12-step program. And then I started using drugs that I swore I would never use again. I mm-hmm. started, I, I picked up drugs as well. So that's when I, I mean, what I know today is that if I leave uh, this 12 step program, even though my primary addiction I see as food, mm-hmm. uh, I will, it will open up everything for me. Gateway to everything. I mm-hmm. have no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're addicts. Um, so you found the solution mm-hmm. like me. Uh, I am been yes. maintaining. I just celebrated seven years in 12 step recovery from Yay. food. So 70 pounds down, uh, maintained a 70 pound weight loss. Oh, so, uh, yeah, I found the solution too. And this is it. I get up, uh, this morning, I go, I'll get up tomorrow morning and then just continue to work mm-hmm. the program. And, um, so you found the solution and, uh, you have neutrality, I assume, from as you go yes. to events, you see cake, you, you see things, you're like, yeah, not my food. That's what I do, right? 
Yes, yes, that is absolutely it. I mean, I've lived in three countries now. So, you know, and each country has its own specialty or in the United States, each region, each state, each town, perhaps. But certainly there are foods that, you know, I... I can look at and appreciate and say, wow, that's lovely. Um, my wife can say, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever eaten. And I don't say, oh, I wish I could have a taste of that because I know better now. Yeah, um, There's not enough of it in the world. And I, I have complete neutrality around food today. If I didn't, I wouldn't have made it this long. Mm-hmm. You know, food is fuel for my body, yep. which is, I think, the way scientifically and biologically it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to worry about um, whether I'm getting enough, uh, not enough. Um, I've had to change my food plan many times over the 22 years. I've gotten older. I've been more active or less active, but not, mm-hmm. you know, not obsessively so. But, you know, having maintained the weight loss for 20 20 years now is really a a reflection, not of my food plan, but of the work that I've done in recovery Mm -hmm. only through that, only through that. Well, you, uh, you are a gay woman and, uh, you have a partner, a Mm -hmm. wife and, uh, Mm -hmm. has, has that, uh, sexual orientation played a role at all in your recovery or having issues with food? Do you think? I think, you know, it, uh, and I hear a lot of addicts say this. It's very interesting. I mean, the first 12-step meeting I went to was at the gay and lesbian, uh, a gay and lesbian clubhouse where the meetings mm-hmm. had, you know, were special interest groups or special focus groups. And I remember thinking to myself, what I really need is to go to 12-step meetings where there's recovery. Um, and you know, being a lesbian, certainly I lived in a small town in a conservative part of the United States and felt like an outsider. But I think everyone I've ever heard tell their story says they felt like an outsider mm. for whatever reason. So I think yeah. being a lesbian and kind of, I came out at an early age, you know, I'm kind of like a the pioneer stage of lesbians. I came out very early, you know, in uh, the seventies, at least to myself. And, you know, it's been quite a journey. I've had to do a lot of work, personal work around that. And I think that has helped me. uh, I think it's actually helped me to, it doesn't mean you have to be a lesbian, but (laughs) it has helped at least kind of open my mind that I can do work you know, that I can do work, that I've done work around this, that I don't, you know, resent the way I am. I don't hide who I am, um, which is, you know, which is great. I'm just out here living a life. I love that in 12-step programs, at least the ones that I've been in, it's, you know, everything's an outside issue. So whether we agree politically or in any other way, it's, um, it's, it's all an outside issue. So I have found uh, a lot of love and support in the rooms. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt, for sure. Um, yeah, and, you know, uh, all of us, I, I think many of us uh, as food addicts, I know that I often feel like an outsider. I felt like an outsider most of my life, you know. Um, mm-hmm. f- for some reason, I just sort of identify out wherever I go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I'm not like you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But but it's, it's, it's old messages. And, um, and I mm-hmm. have to, you know, you have mm-hmm. to, when you go through recovery, you have to feel good about yourself. And just really learn yes. to love yourself. I find that that was been my mm-hmm. experience. Talk about your spiritual life. 
That was, you know, to be honest with you, in the beginning of, I'm going to call my real recovery, you know, where I count my abstinence date from the 9th of September, um, I had uh, pushed away the, the, the religion of my childhood and at various periods was agnostic, atheist, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it kind of varied with whatever my moods, I guess. But what, you know, the spiritual life to me is knowing that I cannot do this on my own, uh, that I needed to get help from a power greater than myself. And it could be a, you know, people literally said it could be a tree, right? It could be the group. It can be whatever you want it to be. Spirit of the universe, you yeah. know, uh, the image of Glenda the Good Witch and the Wizard of Oz. I didn't really care. Yeah. You know, I just... I had to believe in something other than me being able to solve my problems. Yes. And so this, the spiritual, you know, the 12 steps talk about a spiritual awakening. And there's a description of that in some of the literature that says, you know, it's becoming the person that you were really intended to be, becoming the healthiest person emotionally uh, that I can possibly be. And that's really what my work is around today. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to scream and yell and push people away and fights with my partner so she would leave to go to work early so I could eat by myself, you know, in isolation, which a lot of us do. I did a lot of behaviors around food. I was hiding food. I was, I was living a secret life and I don't do that today. I don't do that today. Yeah. I, I talk about with my fellows and the support system I have um, about what's going on. I can work out my relationship issues if I have some come up mm-hmm. with them and then mm-hmm. go to my my wife with the best part of myself, hopefully. Um, but I have completely changed as a person. And I think that's really what the spiritual, the spiritual part of the program is. It's mm-hmm. belief in a power greater than myself, whatever that is, spirit of the universe. Right. And... Um, being open to change. Mm-hmm. And for me, that happened because I was desperate. I yeah. was desperate when I came in. I don't care what you want me to do. I'll do it. Yeah, I was too. I would have done anything and I will do anything to stay abstinent. And one thing, one mm-hmm. point you make here, it's really important is that when I was 203 pounds, I felt like um, if I just could lose the weight, my life would be perfect. And I've been at a maintenance weight since somewhere in 2017, so coming up on seven mm-hmm. years, and my life is is not perfect. I mean, it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good, okay. But things come up each day. Relationships. Uh, talk about uh, talk about the work we do around looking at everything every day to make sure that we stay on track and our lives aren't perfect, even though we're at a good weight. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, in the 22 years I've been in recovery, I have gone through a lot, including traumatic and wonderful events. Um, I have, you know, gone through, you know, my, my sister was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Mm. Um, I was able to be of service to her just a few years ago when my wife and I were in the midst of moving, uh, you know, overseas Mm -hmm. and, you know, because, and the pandemic was going on and there was a lot of upheaval there. And, you know, I, um, did not take the opportunity to, you know, get mad at, my higher power for giving my sister cancer. You know, Mm. it's like what I, what I do today is I accept 
people, places, things, and situations. I mean, that has what has that is what has gotten me through. You know, I st- used to live either in the past where I was regretting something I did or didn't do. I was living in the future, you know, full of fear about right. something that may or may not happen. Yep. And uh, recovery has taught me to just live, you know, as as we often say, one day at a time. But I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, I think. For me, putting the food down um, and immediately starting to work the steps and uncovering, you know, that, you know, like how I think and behave and react Mm -hmm. to things and being able to change those through help with others in the fellowship has been life altering Mm -hmm. to me. You know, I've been, uh, you know, like I said, I've been, um, you know, I've gotten, I mean, my life was a mess before recovery. I mean, every part of my life was unmanageable before recovery. I'd write bad checks for food. I do all kinds of things. And mm-hmm. I don't do that today. I can't do that today. No. You know, I can't do, I can't live that way today. I have to live, you know, a, a, a life free of disturbance. Yeah. And no, that's what the closest. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's true what you're saying. Um, is your sister still with us? She isn't. She passed away. I'm sorry. Um, I was, yeah, I was at at her house. um, And because of the pandemic and the delay in our moving, we were able to, my wife and I were able, she said, could you please come here and help me? You know, and all of my siblings, we all rallied around my my sister. And my sister was my best friend. I absolutely Mm -hmm. adored my sister. It's very, it was very painful to experience. But I got through that. You Mm -hmm. know, I got through that. Um, I had a partner. She was also in recovery in a different 12-step program. And she had, you know, serious issues and ended up taking her life. Mm. And I got through that without having to eat over it or not eat over it, which is usually with a traumatic event, I don't want to eat. That's the last thing I want to do. But I did. I ate my meals every single day. Um like I was supposed to. I needed to keep healthy. I needed to keep, you know, keep my body healthy and not get sick, like mm-hmm. like will often happen or had happened to me before whenever I'd gone through a tough time. Yeah. But with all of that, everything that can happen, you know, maybe these things would have happened anyways. I don't know, you know, without with or without recovery. But but what I have gotten living through those is amazing and nothing I could have imagined. It's not like this tragic event happened and nothing came out of it. You know, my relationship with uh, my siblings bloomed, you know, through the death of my dad, our Mm. our dad, you know, I just have gotten so much out of it. And I don't think I would have ever even been able to see it if I weren't in recovery and could see Mm -hmm. the blessings, if you will, that come out of these experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, this is all stuff. I mean, you got through suicide of a partner, your death of your sister, and you know, these are things we can get through and we don't have to eat. I mean, yes. what we did in the past, at least I did, is just like, okay, just eat something, drink something, and you'll feel better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and yes. it, it worked uh, for a while until it didn't work, <laughs> until my life, like you say, you know, it's a mess. But um this is uh, freedom, you know. I think you'll agree. Just you know, w- waking up each day and seeing what stands in our way from being free, and often bad things happen, you know, in our lives, and there are fears, mm-hmm. resentments, challenges. Uh, you uh, are in Portugal. I, I I believe I understand you to be retired. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, retirement is wonderful. I'm in Key West, Florida right now and uh, retirement oh, is beautiful. It. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yes. And, uh, yes. you know, everything on my vision board before I got sober and before I got <laughs> abstinent has come true. You know, there are palm trees on my vision board and <laughs> here we are. I love it. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. I love it's it. It's wonderful. So, I've never been so serene, peaceful, and joyful. It's been a, a full transformation for me as well, uh, recovery mm-hmm. from food addiction. So as yeah. we wrap up here, um, uh, kind of a signature question of ours is, what What would you say to someone who might be listening who, say, weighs uh, 200, 250, 350, uh, and they just can't seem to stop eating and they don't know what the solution mm-hmm. is? What would you say to that person? Yeah, I think, um, you know, today I have freedom from eating compulsively. I have freedom from food addiction. I could never have imagined life without food. Um, I couldn't imagine a life, like I said earlier, I what I really wanted was the freedom to eat what I wanted any all the time and not suffer the consequences. Not going to happen for someone like me. Um, what I have learned is that you know, recovery and freedom from food addiction is possible. If someone like me can be free from addiction, free from even thinking about using food the way I used to every single second of every single day, then it can be possible for anyone. And I truly believe that I couldn't Mm -hmm. even imagine myself thin. I couldn't imagine myself not doing what I'm you know, had been doing for decades of my life, which I wasted decades of my life in addiction. And, mm-hmm. you know, once I got into recovery, once I got abstinent, I said to myself, I am not going to spend one more second. I'm not going to give one more second to this disease. Right. And so, you know, one of the things that I tell people is, you know, for me, I had to find something that worked for me. And I always encourage people to find something that works for them. If what you're doing isn't working, try something else until you find recovery and freedom because it is possible. Mm-hmm. To get the food chatter out of your head and the Yes. next diet and the and the weight and everything and and just be able to live freely it's just uh, it's an incredible mm-hmm. life it really is yes christy yes. thanks for joining me today it's been great i've got chills i've got goosebumps so that that means it's a great Aww. great episode so really appreciate you taking the time and doing this thanks for being a guest oh thank you so much thank you my pleasure my pleasure thank yeah. you Thank you for listening to the Food Addiction Podcast. We hope you both enjoyed the episode and learned more about how food addiction is recognized and treated. Please rate and write a review on this podcast and share it with others. If you or someone you know is suffering from the disease of food addiction, there is a solution with trained professionals at the Infect School. You can become a food addiction informed and certified as a food addiction professional, as well as receive your own treatment through the various training, certification, and treatment programs offered at the Infact School. Go to infactschool.com, that's I-N-F-A-C-T, school.com to learn more.